I've been a loner and felt awkward around other people all my life. Even my own family, I've always felt like the different one. At parties or social gatherings, I would find a place uh, where I could be alone instead of navigating the world of small talk and meeting new people. But when I look back at my life, the times I had really close friends and family in my life and was really connecting with others were the times that I would not trade for any alone time ever. If I'm being honest, I wanted, I needed close relationships, but I used to not want to admit that to anybody. I'd say I wasn't a people person or that I needed my alone time or that being around people drained me. And that's not to say that I don't need alone time to recharge uh, because I still do, but maybe I used it as an excuse to not deal with the fact that I didn't know how to connect with people. And the people I did connect with, the friends I did have, the family I did feel close to, I couldn't tell you why we connected. I couldn't replicate that in my relationships with other people. Maybe you can relate to this too. Today, we begin a brand new series, Friends. And in this series, we're going to talk about the thing that has the power to give us the greatest joy and has the ability to cause the greatest pain and regret in our life, and that is relationships. Now, if you're like me and grew up in church, we talked about the importance of being brothers or sisters in Christ or having fellowship, but I never quite understood those words. They never really made sense to me. Um, It seemed like a religious way of describing something that I've known and you've known since we were kids, and that is friendship. In this episode of Friends, we're going to talk about how to get rid of the things that ruin your relationships. uh, Today we'll be dealing with fear, and maybe you're the person who has never had the ability to feel close to anybody. So you always feel like an outsider. You're always a loner, even with the people who know you well and that you know well. I needed friendship so desperately, but I didn't know how to find it. I didn't know how to build it. I didn't know how to sustain it. So it was just easier for me to say that I didn't want to be around people. I got used to being alone. Maybe it was too painful to admit the truth. Why do some people seem to be able to get close to others while others never seem to? They get to a certain place in their relationship and then it goes no further. That's as close as they're going to get. Maybe over time, the relationship begins to feel awkward and strangeness sets in to the point that you begin to feel more and more like strangers. Even with your spouse, your kids, your parents, people you've known for years. What happens? Are some people just more social? That's what I used to think. And others are just loners and they're just different from everyone else. How about you? How are your relationships going right now? Really? If they're not going well and you find yourself lonely, it could be that you're an introvert or that you suffer from social anxiety or shyness. 
It could be that you're experiencing depression right now where you don't really want to be around people. You're socially inexperienced. You just don't have enough experience being around different people in different situations and how to talk and how to listen and how to connect. You could be going through a life change right now. Maybe you just moved or just switched jobs. Maybe you're going through a divorce or a breakup and friends have switched. Or maybe you just don't have time. You're so busy that you don't really have time to socialize with others. Now, we might have never met in person, but I'm willing to bet that the quality of life that you're experiencing right now as you listen to me, as you watch me, it's connected to the quality of the relationships in your life right now. If you're feeling depressed or anxious or afraid, it's probably connected to a relationship in your personal or professional life, or maybe a lack of relationships in your life. If you're living your best life right now and things are going well, there's a good chance that you're in a good place with your family, with your significant other, your spouse, your kids, your parents, uh, people at work, at school. Some of you are exactly where you want to be in life socially. You have lots of people around you, but how many are really your friends? Usually people in our lives fall into these categories. Acquaintance. These are somebody you're friendly with, but you never intentionally meet with one-on-one -on -one outside of a common place that you met, whether it be work or church or school, um, the gym, like you go to the same place, that's where you connect. So you never meet outside of that, but you know, you're friendly with each other. This could be a casual friend. Another category is a casual friend. Someone you intentionally spend time with one-on-one, -on -one, but you know, this is outside of your meeting areas, but you wouldn't call them to pick you up at the airport. Then there's the close friend. Someone you, you spend time with one-on-one -on -one consistently. Like you hang out all the time with each other or regularly. And you can depend on if you needed them to watch your house or your pet, or you could watch theirs or pick you up at the airport. You feel comfortable reaching out to this person at any time. Then there's the intimate friend. This is the person who knows the worst things about you, the secrets in your life, and you know theirs. And there's no topic that's off limits. When you're trying to decide who is really a friend in your life, you could ask, who would stand up for you among the people in your life? <clears throat> who would stand up for you when everyone else is talking trash about you? Who could you trust with a secret? Who is quick to listen and slow to offer advice? They're not just waiting for you to stop so that they can talk. They're actually listening to you, not just giving you quick advice. They want to know you and listen to what's going on in your life. Who do you talk with about personal things instead of just sports or politics or the weather? So as you look at the people in your life, how many friends, real friends, do you have in your life? Humans were never designed to live life alone. You were never designed to live life alone. You weren't even designed to live life alone with God. When God created Adam, he gave him a job and managerial responsibility for paradise, an incredible planet with fish and animals and birds and oceans. And he did this with God. He walked with God and talked with God, and yet it wasn't enough. Something was missing. 
someone was missing. Now, if you grew up like I did in church, you were taught that this someone was a woman or a man. It was a husband or a wife um, that you needed to connect with one another. And, and in this story with Adam, that he was missing a wife, a woman. And you heard that this was, you know, it's normally discussed at weddings is where this normally comes up. And yes, that's true. But Eva's more than that. She was Adam's friend and Adam's partner. So what Adam was missing was another human who could be his friend and his partner in life. Adam and God alone was not enough. It was not good. Adam's story, our story, is not complete without friends and partners in our lives. You can never reach your full potential of who you are going to be as a human all by yourself. Adam and Eve and God had no sadness. They had no sickness. They had no jealousy, no lying. They had a good thing going until she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. The one thing that God had asked them not to do, they did. He put the tree there so that humanity could have a choice because God doesn't like to force anyone to do anything. He He's a God of love, not of force. He doesn't pressure anyone. He invites people. He gives people freedom to choose. He never forces humanity to do anything. He asks and invites. So she ate, and Adam, who was with her, also ate. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they were they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They felt shame at their nakedness. What was shameful about being naked? What was wrong with being naked? They had perfect bodies. They had no one else to compare themselves with. They had seen each other naked for a long period of time. There was no guy to compare themselves with, guys. There was no woman for her to compare herself with, ladies. So why be ashamed? They were fully exposed for who they were for the first time. Not just physically naked, but emotionally naked. They were out in the open. They were authentic. They were real. And they felt vulnerable for the first time. This is where shame enters humanity for the first time. And fear makes its appearance for the first time. The fashion industry, by the way, was born right here, where human beings wanted to protect themselves from being vulnerable for one, one another, where humanity began to put up barriers to fully knowing each other and to being fully known. They created their own coverings. The man and wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And we sing, about being in the presence of God, of Him being close. But in this story, we see humanity hiding from God. The fig leaves that they sewed together hid them also from each other. This story reveals three fears that ruin all relationships. Professional, personal, family, romantic. The first is, my fear of exposure makes me distant. If you ever ask yourself, why can't I get close to people? Are you as close to your parents, your spouse, your significant other, your kids, 
friends as you would like to be? You know, there are things about you in your life right now that you don't like. And because you don't like it about you, you don't want anyone else seeing it or knowing about it. What you have not accepted about you, you believe will make you unacceptable to anyone else. You fear other people will reject you if you opened up to them. So you keep your distance because if they get close to you, they will see you as you really are, including your weaknesses and your flaws. Not being close to people keeps them at a distance. It keeps you at a distance. And it keeps people from knowing what we know about ourselves. It's possible to live with someone for 50 years and yet keep them at a distance by not sharing all the secrets of your life with them. Because you're afraid that once they know them, they won't accept you. They won't love you for who you really are. How do you know if you carry shame? You fear embarrassment almost more than, more than anything else in the world. You'll do almost anything to avoid it. It terrifies you. Shame also makes you more self-conscious. Shame makes you nervous. It makes you fearful of being humiliated. What do you use to cover yourself up? Some of us isolate, which means we just stay quiet and away by ourselves. Some of us use humor. We like to keep everyone laughing. Some cover up with being religious, you know, the hallelujah brother or the praise the Lord sister kind of people. You crafted an image of elite level spirituality and the idea of a perfect life with your language. Some people hide behind social media, an image that they've created, showing an image of how perfect their life is, how they have nothing but fun, how everyone wants to date them and be them. Some people use education or possessions or career to cover up. Some people use fitness. You're so afraid to reveal who you really are that you cover yourself with things that make it look like you have it all together. When the truth is, there are parts of your life that are falling apart right now. We are so afraid that we even hide from God. I heard you walking in the garden, the Lord said. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now oh, this is Adam speaking. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid, so I hid. Fear always causes you to hide. So what are you hiding from right now? Who are you hiding from? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your relationship right now? Are you facing it or are you faking it? Who told you that you were naked? God said. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God asks Adam to be honest, to admit, to confess reality, to face the truth that his situation, his situation wasn't what it should be. Was God asking because he didn't know the answer? Or was it because he wanted Adam and Eve to, to know the answer? Adam could not be helped or restored until he took responsibility for his dilemma. The same is true for you and I. Your relationships will never get better and become what you want and hope for them to be until you own up to the fact that they aren't what they should be. As long as you think that your romantic family and work relationships are fine, 
they will never improve. As long as you believe your friendships are okay, nothing will get better. Recovery begins when you are honest and admit that your relationships are not what they could be and what they should be, and that they could be a lot better than they are right now. Fear always causes us to hide. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. When the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You know, we read that verse a moment ago, and it reminds us that shame not only makes you afraid of getting close to people, but it also creates distance between you and God. When God asks, where are you? Like we said a moment ago, it's not that he doesn't know. He wants you to know. He's asking because in order for that brokenness to be healed, Adam has to admit, you have to admit, and confess and take responsibility for what's happened. God doesn't expect perfection, but he does expect honesty. The second fear that ruins relationship is the fear of disapproval. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. You don't just hide from people, you hurl at them. You don't just excuse yourself from relationships, you accuse people of having flaws and faults. The majority of your conversations are pointing out the failures and pointing fingers at everyone else. You not only stay isolated, but in your isolation, you sit on a throne of judgment, passing judgment on everyone around you. The more critical a person is, the more they fear disapproval. It's part of a defense mechanism. It's how they protect themselves. They put all the attention on the flaws of others instead of themselves. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Adam defends himself here. He gets defensive. He blames the other person, and not just the other person, but he blames God. He says, if you hadn't created the other woman, the other human, God, you and I would be good. My problems are the result of other people in this world. You know, and Eve, we all know Eve was different, right? She was different than Adam. She was emotionally intelligent, mature, self-aware. So when the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman responded, you're right, God. It's my fault. I take full responsibility. Actually, she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She defends herself and blames the serpent. For some of you, if someone says anything to you that has a hint of disapproval, you immediately gets, get defensive. You explain it or you attack back. You excuse it or you accuse the other person. The third fear is the fear of losing control. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. Adam and Eve lost control of everything in their lives that day. From that point on, none of us has control of the things in our lives that are most precious to us. Our health, our relationships, our finances, our job, our career. We think about those people who 
suffered through the tragedy in Miami with the apartment building collapsing. None of those people had any control over what happened to them in the middle of that event. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you tend to become. You start to boss everyone around, your kids, your spouse, your parents, people at work, even strangers. Our fear creates our response to protect ourselves by dominating others. God told Eve, your desire, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Before this moment, humanity was in equal partnership. They made decisions as equals. There was no competition. There was unity. From this moment on, however, insecurity entered the world, and with it, a desire for humans to dominate and control one another. The more insecure you are, the more you have to have your own way all the time. A secure person doesn't need to have their way all the time. They're fine. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. Would you like to move from competition to collaboration and cooperation in your relationships? Where you don't fight against each other, but you're actually on the same team, fighting against, fighting against all the negative things that uh, are or would threaten your relationship, whether it be uh, financial issues or health issues or anything else? How do you overcome these three fears that ruin relationships? They ruin not just relationships, but also companies and organizations and even churches. These three fears, the fear of exposure that makes me distant, the fear of disapproval that makes me defensive, and the fear of losing control that makes me demanding. You know, the problem with these that's sad and heartbreaking is that we are all, you and I, are all desperate to be really loved for who we really are. It's a need that we carry deep in our souls. Yet, we're so afraid of being rejected that we hide and cover up and we're never actually vulnerable enough with each other so that we can receive the love that we need. We're stuck. And that's where Jesus comes in. This is one of the reasons Jesus came into the world, to be light to our darkness, to be the hope for our despair, to set us free from this prison of fear. Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now this is not a surprising verse for you and for us, if you've been with us for a while here at Nusso Ribera. But Jesus here in this moment is doing something unthinkable to his audience 2,000 years ago. He replaces all the existing commandments and replaces them with just this one. Who does he think he is anyway? Only God would do something like that, right? And that's kind of the point. Jesus invites us to come out of our hiding place and to remove our covering through the gateway of love. 
Learning to live a life of love is the way out of these fears that ruin relationship. One of Jesus's followers wrote this. He said, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. When you learn to love, you will drive out the fear that ruins relationships. Fear and love cannot coexist. How much of our criticism and judgment of others in politics, culture, technology, change, has its root in fear. News networks, political parties, and extreme social movements make their money and generate momentum. They get their power from fear. But when you love someone, it's impossible to fear them. And when you're afraid of someone, you can't love them. Here are a few pro tips and ways for you to learn to love in a way that overcomes these three fears that ruin relationships. First, remember that I'm completely accepted. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You never again have to prove yourself worthy of acceptance. Some of you believe the myth that if you were perfect, physically, financially, intellectually, that you would be accepted. It's not true. Jesus was perfect, and lots of people didn't like or accept him. The truth is, even if you were perfect, there would still be people who don't approve of you and who don't like you. You don't need the approval and acceptance of everyone to be happy and have a great life. You are accepted. You aren't judged by God. Your heavenly father isn't trying to get you to come out of the hiding place so you can be vulnerable, just so he can criticize you for all the places where you're falling short and missing the mark. He wants you to open up so that your relationships can be restored and so that you can receive and give the love that you need so badly and the people around you need so badly from you. Second, remember that I'm unconditionally loved. Even if you don't love God, He loves you. He doesn't love you if or because. God's love for you isn't based on what you do at all. It's based on Him. God's love is consistent. Some of you grew up never knowing if you were going to get hit or a hug, whether you were going to be cursed or praised. Inconsistent parents create insecure kids. Maybe it's where some of your insecurity began. But God will never love you more than he does at this very moment. Right now, wherever you are, he will never love you any more than he does right now. There is nothing that you can do to make God stop loving you. But you and I both know that actions speak louder than words, right? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a historical fact. 
It's not a legend. It's not a myth. There was an actual man named Jesus who lived and died, who lived and then died on a cross 2,000 years ago. That requires no faith. It's fact. Who you think this man was, well, that's up to you. But he claimed to be the son of God that had come to die for the sins of humanity. If you take him to be who he said he was, then when you have doubts about how much you are loved, remember the cross on which he was crucified. It's his demonstration that actions speak louder than words. Well, you could care less about him, your heavenly father gave his only son for you. While you were saying and doing things that were ruining the lives of others and your own life, he sacrificed his only son for you. While you were running from him with no promise or guarantee that you would ever come home, he sent his son to die so that you could even have a chance to be restored and to be saved. He loved you while you were at your worst, while I was at my worst. And that love will never change, not ever. The third way to overcome the fears that ruin relationships is to remember that I'm totally forgiven. Did you know that before God ever made you, he knew the worst things you'd ever do and decide to love you anyway? He knew things you were going to do that you don't even know you're capable of. And that doesn't stop his love or his plan for you. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross as your only hope of forgiveness for all your sins, you will never again be condemned for those things in your life that you regret and that you're ashamed of. Jesus was condemned so that you wouldn't have to be. He was declared guilty in God's eyes so that you could be declared innocent. The fourth thing you need to do is to remember that I'm extremely valuable. How much do you think you're worth? Not your net worth, your self-worth. Not your valuables, your value. What makes something valuable? Two things. Who owns it and what someone is willing to pay for it? So what is more valuable? A glove that was owned by Michael Jackson or a glove owned by me? (laughs) Michael Jackson, of course. Why? Because he owned it. Who do you belong to? You're a, a daughter of God. You're a son of God. Nothing you have ever done or said will ever change the fact that you are a child of God. So what is your house worth? Now, in this current market, lately, it's for some of you, it's a lot more than you thought. Why? Because there was somebody who was willing to pay more than you thought it was worth. So how much is someone willing to pay for your life? You are not your own, Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul. He said you were bought at a price. What's that price? Regardless of how you feel about yourself, you might think that you're worthless. People around you might have made you feel worthless. But regardless of how you feel about yourself, the price that was paid for you 
was the blood of God's only son spilled out all over the ground, all over nails and a whip and a cross 2,000 years ago in the desert of Israel. That's how much you're worth. Remember to love others the same way. This is the final way to overcome the fears that ruin relationships. Remember to love others as Jesus has loved you. And how did did he do that? We just talked about it. To give to them, offer to them what you have been offered. To accept them completely. To love everyone unconditionally. To forgive everyone totally. And to value everyone extremely. Accept one another, the Apostle Paul writes, then just as Christ accepted you. How did Christ accept you? If you want to be great at loving people, these words will describe who you are. Love never stops being patient. Love never stops believing. Love never stops hoping and it never gives up. What does this mean? It means that love never stops being patient. It means that love extends grace to everyone, to anyone. That love never stops believing in people. That love expresses faith. Have you given up on someone in your life? Have you given up on humanity? God hasn't. Love hasn't. Love says, I know we've had some rough times. I know some things have been done and said that are painful, but I still believe in you. Love expects the best and it never stops hoping for the best. Are you expecting the best out of your relationships or have you settled for less than that? Love endures the worst. It never gives up. It says, no matter what you say or do, it just makes me love you more. There are some of you right now who needed to hear this talk today. And I want to close in prayer. Right where you are, you can just repeat after me under your breath, in your heart, in your mind. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you together and We thank you for loving us unconditionally. We thank you for the price that was paid for us. We're so grateful that you remind us that we belong to you and that our value isn't in our titles or our possessions or in what others say we are, but our value is in that you made us, that we're your children. Father, we want to love like you loved us. So give us the courage. Open our eyes. May we grasp the magnitude of how deeply and completely we are loved and how valuable we are that we may offer that same love to everyone around us. We pray in the name of Jesus. We'll stop right there for this week and join us next time for part two of Friends. I've been strong and I've been 
Somebody you 